Hi folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's podcast is Beam Me Up Scotty. It's all about how technology is making the world of finance simpler and more accessible. I've got Michael Chu from Orange Wealth co-hosting with me today and we'll discuss a number of different companies and apps which are disrupting the world of banking and finance. We hope you enjoy the episode and if you've got any questions or feedback, please email me at advice at adaptwealth.com.au. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair online or indeed to the podcast, this is the show where we help simplify the world of finance and hopefully help you make smart financial decisions. Today, I'm joined in the studio by Michael Chu, who you will know from such podcasts as the Federal Budget Update on uh, on Jair, which was going back a few months. Um, Michael is the principal of Orange Wealth uh, with his brother, Jason, and uh, we're very appreciative to have you join us today. Thanks, Ruben. Great to be back in the uh, in the studio with you. Excellent. What do you think of the new surroundings here in, uh, in Corville? How does it compare to to the old ones. I think the uh, the original one had some nice wood grain uh, features, which was yep. quite uh, aesthetically pleasing. But uh, <laughs> you've got the you've got the foam uh, soundproof walling in here, which is yep. Uh, yep feels like you're in a in- mental institution, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. think it'll be okay though. Yeah, it's yeah. Look, be okay. there was a big effort by the uh, volunteers and executives to move here. Okay. Uh, so um, yeah, we're grateful that. There were some people in JR that put in a lot of effort to make the to make the move. No, it's but, good. Uh, it's yeah, good. we were off air for a few weeks, and now we're back on, and very pleased to be. So, uh, the topic of today, Michael and all listeners, is fintech. So, technology in the finance industry, and there's been obviously with the big boom in technology and internet businesses, this, um, the financial world has certainly been caught up in that, and so much so that they've coined a term for it, fintech. So what does fintech mean? Well, it's basically the fintech industry is an industry which is composed of companies uh, that use technology to make financial services more efficient. Uh, often when people talk about fintech, they refer to startup businesses uh, that are generally founded with the purpose of disrupting financial institutions uh, such as banks uh, you know they're taking advantage of the fact that some of those financial institutions may be a bit clunky may be difficult uh, to make changes and these sort of new upstart businesses are able to be uh, a lot more agile in in solving problems so uh, we're going to talk about a number of different uh, fintech companies and apps but Michael, what's your general sort of view or general take on the whole fintech industry? Is it is it something that's hugely overstated and overhyped, or is it real? Oh, I think it's uh, I think it's a pretty important industry for people in general. Um, financial services, uh, banking, as a really good example, tends mm. to be really slow at innovating, mm. um, and money going to fintech smaller 
um, startup businesses that have one problem they're trying to solve really well and yeah. not really thinking about anything else are coming out with some great solutions. So yeah, yeah. I think it's um, I think it's kind of just at the start, and there are some fundamental um, businesses out there that are going to um, revolutionise the way people use money. Mm, mm. Um, so I think it it's probably people don't. Uh, People won't know of all the businesses out there that are, uh, are trying to come up with solutions, but there's mm. hundreds and hundreds. Well, it's interesting also that thing of having a solution, you know, finding a, sorry, finding a problem and then mm. finding a solution to it. Um, I have heard the, um, uh, the you know, people say that a lot of these companies are solutions searching for a problem. Yeah, <laughs> so, it can be, yeah. So, you know, it's got to, sometimes I think, you know, it's got to be something that, that really is a problem and not the other way around. Um but yeah, I mean, if they if they can and they're agile enough, you know, they, they can make a difference. And we'll talk about, you know, some of the success stories and the companies that are making a difference. But one of the things that that uh, I wanted to say was, when people talk about uh, fintech, you know, it's it's basically technology and financial services, right? And we say, oh, you know, we don't include the banks in that. We only include these startups. But if you look at it, you know, fintech or technology and finance has been around for a long time. You know, the banks have probably been at the cutting edge of it. I mean, you look at automatic teller machines. Yeah. I mean, that's a fintech thing. They weren't around, I don't know, 40 or 50 years ago. You had to go into a branch. The fact that you could get ATMs, um, you know, the, I suppose, credit card payments itself yep. is a financial technology. Um, and certainly internet banking is. So it's kind of, you know, it's been around. I, I think the, yeah, you're right. It has been around. There's lots of technology in banking. Mm. Um, I think the change, and the labelling around fintech and startups really is trying to focus on the on the consumer and what the consumer's problems are. And mm. banks probably have focused in the past on what their own problems were, mm. how to reduce the cost to serve clients and those types mm. of things. So yeah. um, I think uh, things like the internet and access to information and global economies and those types of things really drive this fintech sector. One of the... Mm. One of the things that is interesting is if you follow the money in the next three to five years, um, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers expect somewhere around $150 billion to be put into fintech investment. Mm. So that's massive. And the banks will be big contributors in that because yeah. I, I think they recognize they can't do it all themselves. Yeah. Well, it's, um, I mean, it, and obviously they say that the fintech industry in Australia is really quite small i mean there's you know examples of companies in america and the uk but particularly america that have become actually enormous mm-hmm. um yeah i think some of it is is hype i actually went uh, a client of mine actually invited me to a um a fintech sort of discussion group and one of the interesting things was you know we were talking about you know these smaller companies but they were also talking about banks uh getting involved in it and uh they were saying that what the banks have have tended to do is they get, they sort of rather than doing it in house, they kind of separate out a little division where they get a couple of you know, young people to sort of develop on these fintech, not kind of within, you know, within the part of the bank proper because you know because that can sometimes stifle their development, and they do that and try and sort of develop something, but then sometimes when it goes back into the bank, it ends up in you know this. Comp- clients in this world of institutions you know and that and it ends up getting stifled because someone says oh you thought of that yeah but have you gone and spoken to the legal department mm. and something and then they in, in a past life i worked in one of those bank innovation mm. teams and yeah the, the the challenge from creating something that's creative and that's kind of 
um, unconstrained mm. um, and then putting into an environment that's very regulated mm. and very hierarchical in terms of the way te- teams work is, is yeah. pretty challenging. Yeah. So, but what they were saying also, this is that the banks, I guess, are the ones, they're almost the best able to identify the problems. Yeah. They've got the enormous customer base. They've got, I suppose, you know, the feedback. The big asset that, the banks have got is they've got data. Mm. So they've got all this information about their clients and how yeah. they behave and the transactions they do and where yeah. they're at. So they've got this wealth of data. It's how they can leverage that to come up with kind of customer-centric ideas yeah. and solutions. Yeah, and I mean, you said that uh, you think that the banks have typically not you know, looked at the customers, they've looked internally. But certainly, but that surely that's changed a bit over the last number of years. I mean, the banks are really competing for customers and you look at some of the you know the apps i mean i'm with commonwealth bank and i, I think that their net bank app is just you know is fantastic it's very good yeah i'm i'm, I'm the same i think commonwealth mm. bank probably do it the best at the moment mm. um and they are changing they're forced to change i think because mm. um they've got something to lose yeah in terms of their clients to new innovative partners so i think um probably changes a lot of the culture in organizations yeah. to be more customer driven yeah yeah. Which is a great thing. Yeah. Okay. So, look, what we're going to do then uh, today is we're going to talk about a few fintech companies uh, and applications that have come up. Um, but I really want to look at it uh, in the context of the theme of the show, which is really about, you know, do these apps, do they help us simplify the world of finance? Do they make things simpler and easier? And do they encourage people to make smart financial decisions? So, I think that's what. I want to think about when we go through these various applications. So I might, um, I might start with you, Michael, to talk to us about the you know, about a fintech company. Cool. So uh, my first one's not actually a fintech company, but it's something that people would. Okay, fail. Move on to the next one. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really important one. It's kind of you know, when I used the word fundamental before. Um, this one is a. Uh, a currency, a network, um, it's open source and... Cut the jargon, mate. Yeah, You cool. worked in IT, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did, I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. So we'll no I'll just, I'll just go into Bitcoin. So we've, ah, we've, okay. we've heard of Bitcoin. Yep. I'm sure you've heard of Bitcoin, but I think most people would wonder what it is if you haven't um, been involved in it and purchased yep. it or um, have Bitcoins. Um, uh, so it's not a company, it is a currency, and um, it's really a form of digital currency. So you, mm-hmm. it's not printed. So yeah. the, the the Australian dollars you have in your wallet, Bitcoin is not like that. It's not printed. Um, it's electronically held and nobody controls it, which is positive and negative for, mm. for Bitcoin. Because when you're saying it's not printed, I mean, most money now that transacts is not printed. I mean, yeah, most payments are done on credit card. But you're saying, but you you're saying it's different because it's... It's actually an, it's actually denominated in a currency. So a big a big difference with Bitcoin is it's decentralized, and what that means is no government owns it. It's not Australian dollars or US dollars, and there's no trading between those currencies. And you can't go to the ATM and pull out um, the equivalent of Australian dollars. It's right. it is um, it is totally online. Um, yeah. So. Um, I think I think probably um, the the um, the benefit of Bitcoin, if we look at what the what the why people use it, is it allows you to transfer money between two people mm-hmm. immediately without going through a bank. 
Yeah. Um, and the benefit that means is that there's no clearinghouse with fees mm. that you have to pay. So if I was in Germany and I wanted to buy something from, from you here in Australia, um, I could transfer you bitcoins. You would receive the equivalent amount for what your goods or services are held for. And then... Um, uh, I wouldn't lose any currency exchange right. on that transaction. That's actually one thing we would talk. We did a travel show last week. We were talking about you know the cost of of travel overseas and paying on your credit card and you know on ATMs. So this pretty much eliminates any kind of you know currency cost transfer because the banks completely rip you off with that stuff. Yeah, they do, especially um, international. Yeah, mm. yeah. So mm. my last trip to. I went, last trip I went to Asia, I mm. took out some currency from the ATM and my exchange rate was horrible. Yeah. It was kind of like I lost 10%. On my yeah. Rate. It's just um, crazy, isn't and it? And it, it's painful to, yeah. to to realize that when you get home, you look at your account and you realize how yeah. much you've, you've spent that is lost in currency. So Bitcoin mm. resolves that. Yeah. So, okay. Yep. Um, you can use it in any country because it's not mm. constrained by country mm. or, or those boundaries. Um, you can't, your account can't be frozen. It's not owned by the bank; it's owned mm. by you. Mm. Um, and to set it up, it's really quite simple. You go on and you create a virtual wallet. So, if you think of the wallet you've got in your pocket, but this is a, a wallet that um, is it's kind of like a PayPal, a PayPal account. Yeah. Um, if you're familiar with PayPal, and um, you can buy bitcoins and store them in your wallet online. Interesting. And one thing I haven't, I've never understood with bitcoins is how they're actually established. They talk about mining bitcoins yeah, like you've got, yeah. you've got like a money yeah i know in canberra in theory there's a what's it called where they print the money the mint the mint yeah but how do you actually how do these come into existence so i'll try and describe this without being technical um there's a guy who came up who came up with a concept of bitcoin and mm. um one of the rules that he put in place is that there's a limit to the number of bitcoins that exist 21 million bitcoins is the maximum that can exist um, anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and to get a Bitcoin, you essentially have to solve mathematical problems. Really? And the Bitcoin infrastructure, as more and more Bitcoins are mined or discovered or the problems are solved, the problems get harder and harder to solve. Huh. So it reduces the amount of Bitcoins that people can but mine. The, but there's still a maximum number of there's a maximum number. So, so unlike a... So 21 million, did you say? That's right. So unlike a, unlike the Australian dollar, unlike the US, when the US had, uh, after the GFC, they couldn't reduce their interest rates anymore. Mm. They printed more money. Mm. Um, you can't do that with Bitcoins. So out of those 21 million, what, how much has been discovered so far? I'm not sure of the exact number. Yeah. It's over half, but I'm not sure of the exact number. But what's to stop... Like, like you, you say, oh, it's decentralized, right? That it's that no bank's got control, but but it sounds like there is someone who does have some control. Uh, so there's this software, there's this system, and mm. I, I'm not going to try to explain it because yeah, I'm not an okay. expert at it. Yeah. But whatever the system, however the system's been set up, it controls how quickly people can find bitcoins mm. and it adjusts mm. themselves, and yeah. it there's a limit on the maximum number. It sounds a little bit like someone's created Frankenstein, yeah, <laughs> and then you know they, they hope it's going to behave in a certain way, yeah, I think um, but if, maybe it won't. I mean, isn't that the risk with these things? Like, you know, we say, oh, it's you know, it's great that it's not backed by government, but and I suppose governments can go broke, but. You know, is this a Frankenstein or is it? Well, here's a couple of issues or risks with with um, with Bitcoin. So, security um, mm. around Bitcoin is 
uh, is questionable. There are there's these things called exchanges, which is essentially where your wallet's held, a Bitcoin yeah. exchange. Um, so you can transact through these exchanges, and there's been instances of those exchanges closing overnight and people losing their money. Really, um, and large amounts of money, like millions and millions of dollars. So Jeez. there's no regulation over it, which means that it, Bitcoins aren't regulated by um, ASIC in our case or APRA yeah, yeah. Um, in Australia. Um, I think over time, those regulators will um, will get involved because mm. more and more people will, will use them. But right now, um, there's no regulation. The value of Bitcoin is really unstable, mm. so it bounces up and down. And And... It's gone up enormously, though, really, hasn't it? Like, it has. I think in the last year, it might have gone up three hundred percent. So yeah. it's it's massive. Up. What what and um, what drives that? Like what why what drives the oh, price of the Bitcoin? Listen, I think there's a couple of things. So having a limit on the number of bitcoins yeah. and slowing down the number of bitcoins that are mined mm. creates scarcity. So it's a demand supply thing. Yeah. Yep. That's one. Speculation is the other. Yeah. Right. So highly speculative. People buy it and hold a bitcoin. So people buy bitcoins not to use for transactions, uh, but they they also buy them to um, hold them, like they might hold gold. Yeah, and then hopefully um, yeah. they see bitcoins. But can you rising. can you put your bitcoins in a bank and a bitcoin bank and an interest? Uh, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> not that I'm aware <laughs> can of. You, buy big, you can't buy bitcoin shares. Well, and this is the interesting part about if we take this conversation back to why is bitcoin important for people? Mm. It's that it it is a network and it is a currency that people can innovate on. Mm. So. Um, I'm not aware of those services, and they may exist, but mm. um, it's something that, quite like the internet, when the internet first uh, came out, that we are having a conversation about, well, what is Bitcoin? And people had a conversation about, what is the internet? Um, there'll be a point in time where these cryptocurrencies or these online currencies become just just the standard. Everybody uses them, everybody knows about them, and there's all these services built around them. Mm. Um, and I think it will fundamentally change the way people use and view money um, for better and worse, most likely. Mm, mm. Um, so then that come to the final question, right? Is it going to simplify things and is it going to help people make smart financial decisions? Uh, I th- my instinct is it will simplify things. Really? Um, I think so, yeah. I think so. Um, I don't carry much cash in my wallet now. Mm. Um, I carry heaps of different cards. Um uh, the example of when I went overseas is a, is a great one. If I could pay with Bitcoin on my phone for my latte in Bali, um, which I can't do right now, mm. but if I could do that and it's the same phone I used here, I didn't have to think about transact- transferring money and exchange and um, even preparing to go overseas and around my money, which I didn't mm. do very well actually, mm. um, but I didn't have to do that, then that simplifies things. Yeah, it's interesting. But it is sort of even just having the discussion now, and I'm by no means an expert, it's actually not simple to get your mind around the whole concept. That, no, but the that, in, the internet wasn't either. Yeah, that's true. So, and I'm I'm not saying they're exactly the same. Yeah, yeah you're but right. But in you're preparing right. to, for this, I looked up some yeah. old uh, interviews in on on shows like um, uh, Today in the shows States, shows like the Finance Hour, shows just like the Finance <laughs> Hour, where the commentators were saying, "Well, what is the internet?" Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's really yeah. funny to see people talk about it that way. It's yeah. quite possible that this will have the same impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, and we don't know. Right. We'll have to. We'll. Yeah. We'll have to see. Yeah. Um. Well, the other part of the question. Um. Uh. Will it help people make smart financial decisions? Right now, I don't think it does. No. I think right now there's lots of speculation. Mm. Um. 
it's a currency, so I'm not sure about that one. That's a no. wait and see. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, that's a good one. I've definitely learned a lot more about Bitcoin in this five minutes, I reckon, than I than I have in a while. But but it's an interesting point you make. It's kind of like uh, you had to explain the internet to your you know to your great grandmother from another generation. Yeah, as you say, it's not yeah. easy. So our kids and their generation may well um, only use um, these types of currencies in the future, or yeah. maybe their kids. And Bitcoin's not the only one as well. There's other, there's other, um, what they call cryptocurrencies. Yeah, there, yeah. So. There's a huge, and and that's also a worry because there's lots and lots of them spouting up, aren't there? Yeah, I think I think there is. There needs to be some level of regulation mm. to make people feel comfortable using them. Everyday yeah. people, mums and dads. Um, and then there's probably a point where you get, you know, mass adoption of yeah. these types of things, and then yeah. they start becoming pretty mainstream. And then you, you can go down and buy your latte for mm. four bucks or a quarter of a Bitcoin or whatever, the, a tenth of a Bitcoin, a hundredth yep. of a Bitcoin or whatever it ends up being. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I might move on to my first one. So this is an application or company, but really an application called Acorns. And what it allows is the automatic investment of very small amounts of money. So basically what it allows you to do or the principle of it is you in, in, can invest you know, very small change uh, in a portfolio of of investments, and I'll talk about what they are in a minute. But basically, what it can do is it rounds up, say, spending on your credit card or transfers on your bank account to like maybe the nearest cent or the nearest dollar. So let's say you were going in and buying that latte for three dollars seventy. What you do is you set up on your on the application, which is connected to your credit card or to your bank account, that that it rounds it up to four dollars, and it actually invests that thirty cents for you. There's a lot of other ways to place investments. You can do, you know, regular investments from your own bank account uh, as well, or you can put lump sums in. But the kind of differentiator of it compared to what there has been before is just that sort of roundup. That's its real sort of catch. And what it does then is it takes that money, very small amounts, and invests them automatically in a portfolio of exchange-traded funds. So exchange-traded funds are basically... uh, listed investments that track a particular index we actually did an episode on it a couple of months back um, but they might be they're, they're simple low-cost investments that might track a particular market so it might track the 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 top 50 companies or it might track the banking stocks or it might track you know the u.s share market so what this does is you know you choose sort of a portfolio and it can invest using technology it can invest very very small amounts um so yeah, the solution that it solves, well, in the past, making small investments was difficult. Um, you know, you could either, you know, to go and buy a thing, something shares directly on the market, you got to pay brokerage costs, set up a trading account. Uh, if you want to buy managed funds, there was also a lot of paperwork and minimum amounts. Um, you know, and the costs have come down a bit on those things, but they're still, for very small amounts, they're still, you know, not as much as what you'd think. They're still there's still significant costs in investing and this really makes it accessible for very small amounts. What type of, what demographic do you think Acorn's targeting in in this type of solution? Yeah, interesting. I think it's probably the, um, you know, our sort of Gen X, probably Gen X and a Gen Y sort of thing. I mean, for example, it's in Gen X, you know, with young families and the like, 
you know, a lot of people are spending, you know, feel like they're spending all their money and they'd be quite attracted to something like this because yeah. it's like, well, it's actually an investing thing that's associated with my spending. The more I spend, the more I'll invest. Yeah, it's an interesting one. <laughs> we, we do see that a lot that people nowadays, it's hard to track what you spend. Yeah. And what's left over is not by design, it's by... By, by yeah, by the fact that you just haven't you just haven't managed to spend that money yet. Yeah, so I think it actually so that, that's a good thing. Yeah, I prob- like that. It probably hits a point there, and then obviously the the gen the younger generations as well. Gen Y. What's the la- What's the generation below that called? Is it Z? I don't Is know. Is it the millennials or? Oh, I think millennials and Gen Y. I think they're oh, the think same actually. I think they're yeah. they're. Uh, yeah, I guess it will. Uh, it will. You know, may work for them as well, but but probably the Gen X generation is a bit more focused on. Investment and savings. If you'd say that the 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 Gen Y is more just, you know, this is like really long term share stuff. It's boring. I had a family friend gen, in the Gen Y space ask me about Acorns. They sent me an email oh, yeah. and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about this Acorn uh, mm. thing. I've heard about it. They must have been advertised and picked it up and asked me about it um, because they just they don't re- they didn't really have a savings yeah um, vehicle or mechanism or design in their life." Mm. Um, and in fact, they've got a bit of a little bit of credit card debt that it probably makes sense to pay off first. But yeah, um, but they were interested in it, and as a financial product or service, it, yeah, um, mostly because it does something for them by default. They don't. Yeah. Have to, they don't have to make decisions once the first decision's made. Absolutely, and it's a it's a it's a good educational thing. It's a good thing to get people started on, and and definitely investing small and regular amounts is you know a principle that us financial planners be always talk about. That making smaller regular investments earlier, you know, is much more powerful than making a you know a lump sum investment later because you you've got that benefit of um of of having it be invested for a longer time. As you say, it's investing without thinking about it, and you don't notice the small amounts. But there are as I look, I really like the app. I think it's mm. fantastic. There are some cons as well, and you actually pretty much touched on it that. It doesn't necessarily fundamentally change your spending habits in and of itself, really. Like you're still spending on everything you're doing. And you might be, as you say, you might be building up credit card debt while you're doing it. So you may actually be investing, you know, rounds up your credit card payment and then, it, you know, you might be paying interest on that credit card. So it doesn't take into, into consideration your entire circumstances, and what no. the best decisions are across those exactly, circumstances. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. So imagine you've got like, it's great, you invested in the shares and you know, hopefully you get a 7 or 8% return, but what if you've borrowed money at 18% on your credit card yep. and you're not paying that credit card off? Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, what about what about the investments themselves and fees? Pretty low. Yeah, okay. They're pretty low. I mean, I, ca- I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but they've got... Um, yeah, they've got like a... For small... Depending on the portfolio size, they've got a... A flat dollar amount, and then once you go over a certain amount, it's percentage based, but okay. it's pretty low. It's pretty low, and and you don't ha- really have the trading costs of buying the investments either, which is yeah, yeah, which is really good, you know, to be buying tiny parcels without having to to trade. Do you think it? Do you think it simplifies things for for? Um... Yeah, I do. I think it does. I think it simplifies things and makes things a lot easier to uh, invest in. Uh, in small parcels, and I think um, I think it's a good educational tool. So yes, I do. All right, and making smart financial decisions. What do you reckon about that? I would say predominantly yes, because it encourages people to make small, regular investments, 
and start building their portfolio, even if it's very small. And I think I, I agree. I think one of the challenges for 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 lots of people is that we're too busy. There's too much noise. We have too yeah. many accounts. We have too many ways of paying for things. Yeah. It's just everything gets lost. Yeah. And um, one decision here helps get you on track for something. Yeah. Which is a good starting point. It's not the whole story, but it's a good starting point. Yep. Excellent. All right. Michael, it's back to you for your uh, number two. All right, mine. Now, now let's make this one actually a, a fintech, okay? Okay, all right. <laughs> this one's a company. It's also well known. Uh, it's it's probably the biggest uh, and original fintech company, I would say. It's, yeah. It's PayPal. Ah, uh, yep. Um, yep. So it's not. It's pro- it's one that everybody would know, but I. I think it's worth talking about because of the impact it has had. Uh, so another payments one, actually. Um, yep. Bitcoin's currency, um, PayPal is payments too. Um, uh, background, uh, you will probably all know Elon Musk. Elon Musk yeah. was one of the original uh, yes. founders of this. Yes. So Elon Musk is the guy who, when he sold PayPal to eBay, um, started up Tesla. That's right. And he started up SpaceX and yeah. Solar City. So a um, little bit of history. Um it's valued about $40 billion. Yeah. It's a big company, right? And eBay own it. Um, in a sense, it's a universal way to make payments to anyone. Yeah. Um, it's basically like a credit card processing service. Is that what it is or is it more than that? What it enables is it enables sellers, so people selling products, mm. to receive banking credit card payments. Okay. Um, and that's how, if you've, if you've used PayPal and you yeah. paid for something, which most of us have. Um, that's essentially what you do. You put your credit card or your, mm. your bank account into your PayPal and then you can choose that when you make a payment mm. online. Yeah, I've also um, I've also had a PayPal account hacked, so that turned me <laughs> off it, yeah. Well, security is um, important, so, yeah. So, I mean, but that's obviously that technology or you know, being able to accept credit card payments, like there's now a million and one ways you can do it. Are they Were they just like the first and the biggest and the biggest market share or are they – fundamentally offering something different to all the other ways you can pay by credit card. So here's the, here's the story. When, As an, an example, when eBay first started in the States, the only way to pay a seller was via check. Right. So um, eBay's been around for a long, a long uh, sorry, PayPal's been around for quite a long time now, but at the time there was nothing like this. Is that right? So they were the first? They were the first, yep. yep. There was two companies. There was, I think... Bank X or something like that, Elon Musk's company, and yeah, PayPal. Yes. And they end up merging into the one company, That's but right. they're both competing at the same time but, but, to solve that problem. But at the time, right, couldn't couldn't you couldn't banks process those payments? Uh not digitally, no. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So these guys were really innovative and they they um they pushed through the existing legacy of banks to mm. come up with these this innovative at the time way of making mm. payments. I guess it's payments. Is it a way? Is it with the banks involved? I guess it is part of this payment thing. I mean, you talk about Bitcoin having no banks involved. Yeah, right? the banks are involved because um, PayPal essentially f- um, lets you pay with your bank account mm. or with your credit card. Mm. So you're using a bank's product yeah. to make the payment. Yeah. Yeah. So there's still exchange, there's still um, currency change. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the experience that PayPal brings, it's really the experience that PayPal's driving. Um, there's millions of websites online that let you use PayPal. Mm. Mm. So 
it's um, it's easy. You can sign up and get an account really easily. You can put your cards in. You can go and buy a you know I bought a I bought a lamp the other day for mm. for the office uh, using PayPal and it happens automatically for yeah. you. Yeah, so it's, um, but you do pay you do pay for that service. Yeah, and what do you pay? I'm not sure what the what the conversion is, but mm. there's a percentage that you pay. Mm. And also, I suppose if you're using different currencies, like if you're buying something Correct. in the US dollars or whatever, there yep. must be a exchange rate. And they give you an equivalent currency amount that you're paying in Australian yeah. dollars, but yeah. then they take the clip on. They must that. take a clip yep. on that. Yep. Yeah. So it's so it's it, obviously it revolutionised. Yeah, payments. You're saying back how many years ago? Do you know? Oh, it's hard. To I want to say around '98. I oh, know yeah. it's 2009. I think. I think 2000. No. No, it must be must be ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to say ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. What about the what about the cons? What about what's the disadvantages of it? Um, well, I think it does a pretty good job. Actually, I struggle mm. to find other than other than you have to pay for the convenience through through fees. Mm. I struggle to find um, many problems with PayPal. It's well established. Yeah, and well proven, and people are confident about it. Mm. Um, um, and they even give guarantees on payments made with PayPal through companies like eBay. Yeah. Um, so there's all these uh, consumer protections in place. Yeah. I don't know how you you were when your PayPal account got hacked. Yeah. You, <laughs> you want to talk about I, that I on know, the radio? No, I just closed but, the thing down and never wanted to touch it again. But. I don't think you can avoid it. Well, even now with you know internet banking type stuff, you're still at risk of of course of security things. So yeah. I think listen, I think personally, I think um, PayPal does a good job. I use it regularly. How about you? Do you use PayPal much? Well, no, I actually so? stopped using it previously. I just so. had that. I just had that bad experience. So then I just usually when you can pay things, there's a couple of options. You can use a PayPal, or you can use a a credit card, and I use and I will generally use the other option. But Kara and my wife uses PayPal. Yeah, uh, I, I think um, even they're trying to push into the physical space now in, mm. in retail. I bought a cubby house for my daughter a couple of years ago and there was a PayPal, PayPass machine that I used to really? to um, to make the transaction. So I paid through PayPass, on, on, through PayPal, sorry. And I put my... In the store. In, in the store. And I put my yeah. uh, details in and really? went through, yeah. I haven't seen them broadly used, but I, I have... have Run into them once or twice. Mm. So, the question is: Is does it simplify things, and does it help people make smart financial decisions? Uh, it definitely simplifies things. Yeah, I think it's revolution revolutionised payments mm-hmm. online. It's given people a a secure way to pay that's not linked to a bank. Yeah, um, that you can have multiple banks that you can choose from in that um, um, in yeah in your payment. Um, mechanism. So, um, does it make people make better decisions? Probably not. Yeah. Um, it probably makes you gives you options to spend more money more easily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure sure it helps you make decisions, but yep. it makes things very simple and easy. Good. All righty. Yeah, now it's uh, my turn again, and my second uh, fintech uh, application or company is called Society One. So Society One in a, was one of the first peer to peer lending. Uh, Markets, I guess you could call it, in Australia. So what it basically is, is an online lending marketplace that connects investors and borrowers. So borrowers um, can put up, say that they want to, you know, they want to borrow some money. Maybe they want to borrow ten thousand dollars for a car, and uh, they'll have some kind of credit rating, 
and an interest rate which will apply to for their loan based on their credit rating, and that that rate is between seven about seven and a half percent and nineteen percent, right? Depending on how good their credit rating is, and then it matches them. And investors can choose one of those loans and effectively finance it, right? So it basically marries up the borrower and the investor. And it, does it decide the rates, or does the investor? No, I think that it decides the rates based on the okay. credit rating. Yes, cool. it, it, it decides the rate. It, it uh, assigns a credit rating. So in a way, you know, we talk, it's along the lines of what we are talking about before. It kind of does what a bank does, but cuts out the bank, mm. you know, because essentially mm. that's, what, that's how a bank traditionally makes money. It takes money in deposits and it lends them out. And this kind of cuts out, cuts out the middleman. Do you know, how, uh, so if, if I'm the investor... Um, and you're you wanted to borrow money, and it sets yeah. a rate at seven percent. Yeah. Let's say, um, do you know how much the investor receives back? There must be a there Good must question. be an amount that yeah. goes to yeah. Society One for managing that. Yeah, that maybe process. there must be a margin that they margin. Take. Yeah, okay. yeah, but okay. but I guess it's I guess it's probably a thinner margin than what the banks take. Yeah, I mean the other talking about the pros now. The other thing about these is, is that they these type of companies tend to have a very good um, a good way of um, assessing loans quickly so you can get your loan approved quickly often yeah, okay. what they'll do is they might feed into your accounting software or be able to read your credit card really quickly and actually have a very slick application process mm. so i think that's often a big a big draw card for these type of things and this one is quite good i, I like the fact that it, it it differentiates the rate based on your credit rating yeah, I better pay my phone bills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, look, the solution it solves, I mean, obviously, you know, people, there's lots of places where you can borrow money from, banks, friends, bank of mum and dad, credit cards. Um, but this is another another place. Uh, and as I said, it's quicker and often more efficient than, than dealing with a bank. The other the other thing is, is people, you know, who may not qualify for loans from other places because uh, they've got a bad credit history, they could probably still qualify here. They may just have to pay a higher rate, so I suppose that's an that's an advantage, but it's kind of a disadvantage because it, it can cripple you those very high rates. The other thing which was interesting, I didn't look into too much detail, but they've got like a niche uh, market there, which is lending money for farmers for livestock. Yeah, right. And I just thought that was that was pretty interesting because mm. uh, you know maybe it's solving a, a sort of social problem as well as just a. A financial one, so so I don't know too much about the industry, but perhaps it is hard to for farmers to borrow money for that sort of thing, and they they've they've hit a niche there. I imagine it is because often lending is around collateral and yeah, um, you know what you've got to put up against the, yeah. the money, especially from a bank's point of view. This this um, their solution or their business model sounds like it's kind of in between the bank's model and kind of the payday guys where the payday guys and you know yeah. that's not a great that's not a great model for consumers yeah um but you can get access to money quickly that the banks wouldn't necessarily provide you and it sounds like it's they're true. doing that at a reasonable rate it's true and there are though there are lots of other ones out there that are charging high rates there are there are ones um these p2p lending that that um are, you know specifically for businesses Yep. And some even which are not peer-to-peer lending, they might just get their funding from a bank and they might just be another loan provider. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there are lots of those out there as well. Um, but I think, yeah, the idea is that, that you know, generally speaking, that they, they probably don't give you better rates. Sometimes they'll give you significantly worse rates in the bank. 
but it's just the ease of it's the ease and the, speed the of getting speed of getting money when you need yeah. it. Yeah, and it's versus, kind of a you know as I said, but look, there are drawbacks of it. Obviously, you know, being another source of finance, you can say it's good, but that's also bad because you know, it gives people another opportunity to get into more debt. Yeah, you know, so oh, I've maxed out my credit card, I've maxed out my home loan. Oh, I can get some more money on what, on Society what? One, you know. So it's so that's not that cannot be a good thing on Society One's website or any advertising that they do. Do they have any kind of icons or things that uh, examples of what people borrow money to use for, like a car, for example, a holiday? Yeah, is it is that kind of definitely. positioned that way? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, lifestyle yeah. type stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, as I say, I think you'll find that these different lenders will have different niches. Yeah. But sure, they'll have, you know, yeah, car, holiday, you know, new fridge, I don't know, all those sorts of things. So, look, this is, um, yeah, this is a massive market. There are some enormous, enormous uh, peer-to-peer lending companies in the US. There was one I was, when I was researching called Lending Club, and it went public in 2014 at a market cap of $9 billion. Wow. You know, it traded as high as $25. And now it's trading at $6. Um, you know, its market cap is now $2 billion. But I think that shows you, you know, where some of the hype, you know, it, it That's a fell, big change. fell by three quarters. Yep, yeah. Yep. Um, but, you know, so I think it was overhyped, but it's still a big market. Yeah. Uh, does, it, does it make things simpler? Or easier, maybe is the, is the question. It probably does. They probably that that's that's I would say their main drawcard is they make the application process simpler. Yeah, gives you access to money that you might not otherwise get through. Correct, and with a simpler application process, so you'd have to say it's it's uh, increasing more options uh, for people to borrow money and making it another easier way. So you'd have to say yes and better financial decisions. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I just think it's. Yeah, anything that's another extra source of finance isn't necessarily helping people make smart financial decisions. Maybe sometimes they are, but I think there's a big risk that they're not. Yeah, it's really the purpose of the of the money that you're going to use. If it's not that's for something that's an investment or something that's that's life changing, then it's probably true. it's probably not a great decision. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on to number three for you. It might be the last one we've got time for. Cool. Um, so go ahead. All right, this one is an Australian startup. Um, it was a few years ago, um, but they've had, um, I think, well over 100,000 people yeah. sign up. Um, it's called Pocketbook. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so many listeners probably have either heard or seen Pocketbook advertised if you've gone on the App Store because it's been quite popular on iPhone App Store um, yep. and probably the Google Android Store as well. Yep. I'm an iPhone guy. So um, essentially, it's a spend tracking app. Um they want to make you smarter about how you spend your money and help you reach savings goals. So yep. a lot of the features are geared to helping you understand when you're spending money, when you're spending more money than you um, that you might have, and check in with yourself. Um, and if you're a if you're uh, if you've ever created a, a spreadsheet to track your budget and your spending. And you know the pain and time it takes to categorize your spending, track it, manually mm. type it into the spreadsheet, yeah. and then take a view of how much money you've spent. This is really trying to solve for that problem. Yeah. Um, and, and it's actually interesting. I was talking to a client about it today. 
that there's, there's still a difference though between tracking your expenses, like knowing what you spend on, and then actually it changing behavior. Totally There's a big agree. gap between those two, really, isn't there? Sometimes yeah. you think, oh, you'll track it and then it's going to make a difference, but it won't necessarily. I think this app tries to help make a difference. Yeah. But it can't... It's data. Mm. It gives you the data that tells you what you're doing, mm. and it tries to be smart about giving you... about um, uh, identifying trends in what... Your, what the data says. Yeah. So, for example, um, in a certain category, it might be uh, alcohol. Yeah. You're, sp- you're spending more money than you said you wanted to spend. So, it yeah. tries to give you that notification yeah. as a trigger to help you make a better decision. Yeah. But it can't make the decision for you. No. And I think you know, where there is some benefit with those things as well is that it can help you with the big financial decisions. So you say if you've got the data of what you're earning, what you're spending, and then you think, oh, I'm going to go buy the new house for four million bucks and I'm gonna to have to have another mortgage of two million it's gonna cost me this. You actually have got to say, well, can I actually afford it if you've yeah. got the data? So it can help with those big decisions. Yep. It um, definitely helps you with understanding your circumstance mm. and realizing what you spend. And I think from I think I mentioned it in, in one of the previous com, uh, comments, most people don't know how much they spend. Mm. Um so it's very hard to make decisions mm. around how to prioritise your money. So having the data helps that i think one of the changes that we see in the last let's say 10 years is that people bank with multiple banks Mm. they have multiple spending accounts and they have multiple credit cards and um if you had two credit cards and two spending accounts with three different banks it's almost impossible to be able to know what you spent at any one time if you're using them all for different types of spending. Yeah. Um, So this collates all that and aggregates it into one view. And I think that's that's really helpful, actually. Yeah, it's interesting because um, a lot of the banks, like I know with uh, Commonwealth NetBank, for example, they're introducing like a light version of these sort of spending trackers. So, you know, you can flag things and create some sort of report. Um, which is interesting, and I guess that encourages people to spend, you know, just use the one bank, which I guess is what they want. But you're right, it's certainly not as flexible as something like that. And this. people don't want to bank with just one bank anymore. No. I don't think there's any... I don't think the loyalty to a single bank's mm. um, there. People Yeah, sometimes I think they should, though. Sometimes I think, you know, creating multiple things and trying to get a slightly better deal here and there is just complexity. creating more complexity yep. and... You know, so, yeah, it's one of those things. So there's some things that it it does well, but I think to get value from it, you really need to ensure that the data is accurate. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't do it 100% accurately. No. There's There's things it can't tell. So it works out based on what the, from the bank it collects the transaction and works out based on the description in the transaction, how to categorize that account. But if mm-hmm. your bank's not being particularly descriptive or... It was you. You paid for something that you know came through on your credit card and didn't have a description of what the store name was. It's very hard for it to do that. So yeah. there's some amount of work that yeah. needs, it needs to go into it to make it accurate. And if if you're not prepared to put that work into, um, the insights just aren't as yeah. aren't as accurate. It's clear. interesting because I, I don't know. You know, I have um, done these kind use these kind of apps with clients at different times. We actually did try and use Pocketbook at one point. It didn't seem to work with financial advisors particularly well. I don't think it was set up for that. We then sort of moved to another one called MoneySoft, yep. which is good. Um, and I was just having a chat with a client today, but the, 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 the issue is, is getting people to regularly adopt it and make it a habit. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think everyone loves, in principle, the idea of tracking your money, know where it is. But as you say, are they willing to do the work? You know, and and it's not enormous, but there is a bit, you know, to make the data accurate. When you come home, you know, after you've been working all day and the kids are screaming and, you know, you've it's, finally got a glass of red wine and, you know. It's the last thing on your mind, logging yeah. to book and tra- encoding some transactions. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We use we use MoneySoft too and we find that some clients are are right into it. They look at it every day. Others look at it yeah. once once a quarter mm. and others don't look at it at all. And um, yeah, the engagement's a really big part. Um, the other couple of things are that some banks can fall out of sync with the yeah. solutions. So yeah. what that means is that um, if something happens on your CBA, internet banking, um, that means that it breaks the link with Pocketbook, then the transactions don't come through. That creates a bit of, um, I guess, dissatisfaction in using it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the third one, I reckon, is that you have to provide your credentials to make mm. um, Pocketbook work. So it means that Pocketbook can go off and get the transactions from your uh, transaction records from your account. And yeah. um, there's lots of uh, there's lots of security kind of I won't use the word guarantees, but security in place. But it might, can make people feel uncomfortable to do yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So the two questions is: Does it simplify the world of finance, and does it help people make smart finance? I reckon decisions? it's definitely. Definitely, um, is it simplifying? It's definitely providing more data. I don't know mm. if that simplifies it. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the person who's using it. Yeah. Um, if you're analytical and you can go in there and you can you can gain insights, glean insights from, um, you know, collating the data into into groups of um, transaction categories, then yes. Yeah. But otherwise, it might just become a bit more of an overhead. Um, it can help you make better decisions, though. Yeah, because you've got information to make those decisions on. So, um, if you wanted to save, let's say for argument's sake, you want to save ten percent of your expenses, well, you can choose the categories of expenses um, and know how much you want to reduce them by, and then put a plan in place to try and get there. Yeah. Without that information, it's just kind of impossible. All right, Michael, that's about all we have time for. Uh, thanks a lot for joining me on the show today. We've talked about maybe a, a regular spot for you. Uh, which we might talk a bit more off air, but it would certainly be great to have you in here on a more semi-regular basis. Um, and thanks for all the listeners. If you want to uh, look, listen to different podcasts, you can find us by Googling us or by going on iTunes. And we have just set up a Stitcher account as well. So search for the Finance Hour uh, to listen to podcasts. And of course, your feedback is welcome at any time. You can email me at advice at adaptwealth.com.au. Otherwise, thanks for listening and we will see you next week.